This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 9 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. I'm John. And we are here today for Part 2 in our series on LeVar Burton, looking at his Emmy-nominated work, where we'll be looking at the first work that he did, well, overall, and the first work that he did that was nominated for an Emmy. Roots. Mm-hmm. All right. Roots was a television miniseries that came out in 1977. It was based on a book by Alex Haley, who traced his oh ancestry, supposedly, <laughs> back to uh, a guy named Kunta Kinte, who was a African who was brought over uh, in like 1767 to America by slave traders where he became a slave and it follows his mm. descendants uh, allegedly allegedly <laughs> follows his descendants through their family history up until uh, well I guess just after the Civil War and uh, when, when they were liberated and, and stuff. It was um, a very, very big deal when it came out um, and is still considered to be very, very good. When the WGA uh, released their list of the 101 best-written television shows of all time, they ranked uh, Roots at number 62. And they said something which I found to be very interesting about kind of its place in history which I thought I would read, because I think it does a good job of sort of placing it in the proper historical context. They said, um, Roots, uh, from executive producer David L. Wolper, was more than a miniseries. It was a spectacular and unprecedented example of television's power as a storytelling medium, one that could simultaneously direct the national conversation and prod its conscience. Adapting Alex Haley's epic autobiographical look at his ancestry... Um, into script form fell to William Blinn, M. Charles Cohen, James Lee, and Ernest Kenoy. Uh, if the historical accuracy of the story was challenged in some circles, the 12-hour miniseries aired in 90-minute installments over eight consecutive nights, that doesn't add up, but that's okay, to huge ratings, had a deeply visceral impact on a nation confronting a part of its history that broadcast television had never shown on such a grand scale. Some 100 million viewers tuned into the final chapter. That last episode is still the third highest rated television program in history, and I think always will be. And, and LeVar Burton was in the first four of those hours. And for those four parts, I guess actually just part one, he was nominated for an Emmy for, for Best Lead Actor. Um, so, yeah, the series aired on like eight consecutive nights in 1977. Um, it was nominated for 37 Emmys. It won nine of them, including Best Miniseries. Burton was nominated for Lead Actor, along with three other actors from the same show. It's the first time in history that an entire acting category at the Emmys was um, filled up by people 
all from the same show. And uh, he lost to Louis Gossett Jr., which, I mean, you know, if you're going to lose to someone, I guess that's a good It's not bad to company to be in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was his very first role. So what are your thoughts on Roots on the whole? John? Uh, I completely get uh, why it is such a landmark uh, TV event. I really do. You know, it came out in 77, so I didn't exactly watch it, you know, live. Uh, so years later, I, to put it in perspective, I didn't even know uh, LeVar Burton was in it until well after uh, Next Generation started. And I wound up waiting for years to go back and see it. And I think that it does hold up over time. There is a reason that it's still referred to with uh, such you know reverence and respect. The simple fact that it's such, you know, it's a TV season now. You know, it's a miniseries, but it's basically what is regarded as a season now. And they pulled off something that is still a cultural touchstone. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I totally, I totally get it. It's enjoyable. It's well-written. It's well-put-together. And it has an emotional impact. It, it's everything you want from a piece of filmed entertainment uh, to happen. What about you, Max? Were you familiar with the show prior to this? Prior to this? I mean, had you seen it prior to this? Um, I well, in context, uh, it, it makes sense. I I I went to public school, and in public school, they look for ways of getting the job done really fast and easy. <laughs> so, in order to skip past a lot of historical backstory, uh, my history teacher decided to just play the a big chunk of Roots. And occasionally pause it and go, this isn't exactly how it happened. Yeah. They pretty much just walked to villages and were like, we want to buy some people. And the guys there were like, we'll just totally give you some people if you give us some guns. Mm -hmm. And the deal was done. So like that, that was the context in which I saw LeVar Burton as Kuta Kinte when I was very young. And, uh, for I, I don't know for for a good chunk of time, that was like my entire exposure to Roots was Lavar Burton's section of the series. Essentially, the 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 very early part of Roots w that deals directly with slavery and the slave trade. Um, probably because everything after that is really really slow. And is more of a kind of um, family drama than anything else. And that's not quite as exciting and controversial and worth talking about in a history class. So um, that was that was how I knew LeVar Burton before Star Trek. And of course, that's actually not a huge chunk of time. It was probably less than a year before Star Trek started up. So I actually knew, like, to, like, to me, like, LeVar Burton was... That guy in Roots, who's now on Star Trek, and to me that was like a get. Yeah, and uh, and it took me a very long time. Like not until like the show was like ending, and I was in high school, and when I was like, "Oh my god, wait, that was like a that was like fifteen years or something, right? That's a huge chunk of time." What he looks exactly the same. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is um, weird that, that that is kind of like he was the big star on Next Generation basically because of Roots. Yeah. You know, and uh, at the time when he was on Roots, he was like the only person on it who wasn't a star. But that to- yeah. totally made him a star. And the other thing that he was really known for prior to Star Trek was reading Rainbow, which we'll talk about next week. Um for me, I had always been aware of Roots, you know, even back before I had started watching Next Generation, and I was aware that Burton w- was from Roots as well as reading Rainbow, um, basically because I read about it, you know, I think probably in the Next Generation Companion, but I had never seen the, the show. I had never watched it in school or anything like that, but uh, it was one of those things where I was always like... I. I know that I need to watch this, but I don't really want to watch this, you know, in in the same way that I didn't really want to watch Schindler's List and I didn't really want to watch, you know, any of those types of uh, really, really heavy uh, dramas. And uh, I'm kind of glad that this came up because it gave me a chance to watch it. And, you know, full disclosure, I've still only seen the first four hours because those are the ones with LeVar Burton in them. Um, but I am going to finish it up because it's, it's you really should. good. It yeah. is good. I, I, I definitely will. Um, I was shocked by how much they were actually able to do on network television. That was sort of another thing which kind of um, put me off uh, uh, from it initially was, you know, I've seen Amistad and I've seen 12 Years a Slave and everything like that. And it's like um, stuff that you can do on the movie screen, especially uh, when you have directors like Steven Spielberg involved, I imagine are going to be a bit more sound than something that was on ABC in 1977. But I was actually shocked by how much uh, they did do here. There's still a little bit of that sort of TV-ness going on. I mean, Ed Asner, as good as he is in this thing, you know, it's it's a little a little over the top, you know, yeah. a little 70s TV-ish uh, for my taste. But, you know, what can you do? The, the overwhelming majority of it works really well. And I think kind of like what uh, they, they were saying on the, the Writers Guild thing is more than it working dramatically, it really seems to me that it works as sort of, you know, a portrait of the African-American experience from enslavement through liberation, you know, that hundred years. And uh, that to me is sort of more significant than uh, whether or not it works dramatically as a, as a story. And, uh, you know, just kind of like reading about it and hearing about how it it sort of became like the thing that that everyone in the country was talking about and everything like that. I mean, that's really significant. So, well, I mean, I I would I think there's more there's more to that. I mean, like there's the deeper significance of that is that without the conversation, Roots isn't particularly watchable. Uh, maybe yeah. it's very oh. slow and 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 without like without the the frame of of history and the conversation about its its presence and what it is about it it really is kind of plotting like it's just kind of miserable for at least the first half mm-hmm. i 
I don't see. I don't agree with that. I just, I just flat mm-hmm. out don't agree with that. I, you know, I, I remember when I did get around to seeing it, um, you know, years ago and started watching it. I, I find it to be very compelling. I, I don't find it really to be plot. It, yeah. Does it take its time? Yeah. They, they knew they had, they knew they had time to build things. And I think that, you know, it, it's from a different era of television for sure. And they, do they take their time? Yes. But I think, I think the entire thing is compelling. I, I don't find it to be plotting in any way. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely find it to be more compelling than I imagined it would be. Um, but at the same time, I can see how there, there are elements of it which might drag a bit, you know. Um, but so I, I think I kind of fall in the middle between the two of you. Well, I, like, it's not really like a criticism. It's more like a, a reflection mm-hmm. on, on the watchability of things. Like some things don't really work when you remove them from their historical context. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we've referenced it on a number of occasions, but if Citizen Kane came out today, it wouldn't really be all that noteworthy. It's sort of about where it comes and what it, what it means at the moment. And part of the the humorous thing about like when I when I first discovered that there was controversy about Alex Haley's history, yeah, I, I remember being surprised that no anyone cared. Yeah. Uh, like uh, like oh, he depicted some of the stuff in Africa wrong. It's like. Well, he didn't know. Yeah, well, so and and like he didn't actually trace his family lineage back to the and like, who cares? Yeah, I, I think, mean, who well, cares about his family lineage? Why? Why would that even matter? Well, like, I, why I, didn't like the idea that he said that I active like I actually traced my lineage back to this guy and this is an actual recounting of facts? That just seems weird. Why bother? Like, it's a story about a thing that happened. Not this particular one unique thing and the exact representation of it. If you're telling a story that happened to one person, then you know you could say, "But just happened to that one person." Like this is a story about a whole bunch of people. Yeah, and yeah. and if you take it out of that context, it kind of actually seems less important. Well, I the thing is, it's an odd, to me that's an odd criticism for anybody to level, really, because I mean. I, I I don't know if anybody is still saying because it, it, in the post Oliver Stone era, like, does it really matter at all? I mean, the guy. Well, that's you know, what I'm saying. Like, I yeah. I don't even I, I I don't even understand why he would even bother pretending that he active actually did this. Like, he did the research and traced his lineage back to this guy. I don't know why he would even bother trying that because it's not it's not worth it. It doesn't make it better. Well, everyone's got to have a hook. I, I can see why you would do that from a marketing standpoint. You know, it's like, hey, look at this! I did this thing, and wow, that's even more impressive. I got to check that out. It just seems like if you're making something that's going to be controversial, and you give people ammunition to tear it apart, it's well, just a dumb thing to do. That was probably his mistake. But like, I agree with you that it doesn't really matter, and and I see what you're saying about how it might even be more effective if you're telling everyone's story instead of just your own. But I think the controversy mainly came in in the fact that he was like, I did this thing. I did this amazing thing. Look at this thing that I did. And it's like, well... And the it, plagiarism stuff is just yeah. un, unacceptable. Right. And the, that's, yeah. that's the stuff that mm-hmm. is just like, no, that's not just bad. That's actually <laughs> wrong. Yeah. 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 He, for, for those people who don't know, he did settle out of court, you know, and, and admit to plagiarizing another book. 
mm-hmm. uh, when when writing this one. So it's still a good TV show, though. It is doesn't yeah. take away from it at all. Right. So, um, what about LeVar Burton in this thing? Uh, Max, what what did you think about his performance as Kunta Kinte? Well, it's it, it's really hard to separate from like my my entire history of understanding this portion of American history. Mm-hmm. I mean, to a great extent, like when when I see you know a, a depiction of of slaves, part of my brain is sort of like accessing that childhood memory of seeing Levar Burton playing this character. Like, I, no matter how no matter how long I go, like I, I last when I watched Django Unchained, I was like. Oh, this is a lot rougher than Roots. <laughs> yeah, and I thought Roots was pretty rough, <laughs> and and like I was still sort of like like somewhere behind like the characters. I was thinking like, I wonder if there was an inspiration. I wonder if Roots was an inspiration here. I bet Quentin Tarantino has seen Roots, yeah. but I don't see an active inspiration. I don't see the connective thread. Like the like it was still there. So like it it left an impression that was. Much more significant than a lot of other movies I was shown in school for historical value. Um, largely because LeVar Burton made this character whose life story bore no resemblance to my own somehow believable and relatable. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly what he's doing to make that happen. Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the, like, what, what. Like acting chops are are at play when he isn't saying anything, but when he when he is not saying anything and he is just you know on screen with a facial expression that I couldn't name, I I, I can see the I, I can see that he's thinking I can see his his thought process and his 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 consciousness and it seems to be the consciousness of the character. And that is an impressive thing to do, especially when he was like what, like eighteen or something. Yeah, probably like eighteen, nineteen years old. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very impressive performance. It's so impressive mm-hmm. that it's actually kind of hard to imagine that he would get an award for it because when it's that impressive, people don't see it. They, if you can't name it, it's really hard to talk about how good it is. So, yeah. I'm not surprised that he didn't get it. Yeah. It's just sort of how it goes. What about you, John? What did you think about his performance? Well, I don't know that I can really add anything to that, but I might just offer a a theory that what makes his performance work is his youth and is his ability to convey, um, you know, through different means that sort of journey from you. When you first meet him, you completely buy his innocence. And then as he goes through Mm -hmm. his journey, you buy each stage and I think that a lot of it does have to do with his ability to express through his eyes, which I think gave a lot of context to me when I saw it, uh, because I'd already started watching him as Jordy. It, it gives a lot of context to his later work because it's not just his eyes, because he's still really good as Jordy, and he he loses the advantage there. Uh, with, with how he expresses things, but I, I think that in, in the context of this specific character, he uses his facial expressions to great effect to convey all of those stages um, and make it believable. And I think if he doesn't sell you in that first meeting, the rest of it doesn't work. 
So I, I think it all hinges on that very first meeting of Kunta Kinte as a character. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that he's really good as well. Um, you know, it's it's kind of crazy that he's really the heart of, um, well, the first four hours of, of the, the show, and, and I think by kind of extension, the, the show on the whole. And, you know, for a 19-year-old kid who's, this is his first time that he's ever, I mean, he was in like a, like a short film, and that was it. So, I mean, it says, like, and introducing LeVar Burton as Kunta Kinte. You know, for a 19-year-old who is, you know, a first-time actor, and he's stacked up against, like, a lot of the greatest actors of, of that time period. I mean, you've got Ed Asner and Louis Gossett Jr. and um, O.J. Simpson and <laughs> and various uh-huh. other people. Uh-huh. You know, it's like... He needs to go up against all of these icons, you know, and he's just a, a nobody, you know, at, at that point in time. It's like that has got to be incredibly overwhelming. And for him to be able to, like, stand his own and sh- and and shine and, you know, really anchor this massive, massive piece, I mean, that's insane. And, you know, we see Louis Gossett Jr., I think we just call him Lou now. Is it, do we just call him Lou? I think I think Lou? as a culture we've agreed that we just call him Lou. Okay, so we see Lou um, doing his thing in you know the the second half of of these episodes, and yeah, he's really good. And I don't really know what he does beyond this, but to me, it's like there's a lot more uh, in terms of like you know, levels of emotion and, and performance. I mean, dealing with the fact that you're playing someone who's speaking like another language for half the thing. And how do you convey that, especially when you're speaking English and then you have to make the transition over and all this other stuff. I mean, there's a lot more going on in LeVar Burton's performance than there is in Lewis Gossett. I'm sorry, Lou's performance. Lou Gossett Jr. No, Lou. not you don't you don't just say Lou. Oh, okay. You say Lou Gossett Jr. Okay. You don't say Lewis. Okay. Because nobody calls him that, and that sounds weird. Sorry, there's a lot more than what's going on in Lou Gossett Jr.'s performance. So yeah, I I, I was really really impressed uh, by Burton in this in this show. So any uh, final thoughts on Roots? Uh, what about you, John? I. I think that people should see it. I think that people dodge it because of that um, that feeling of obligation to see it. Um, where, you know, this is the thing you should see. Ah, oh, fine, I'll get around to it. I'll get, and I think that's delayed a lot of people watching it over time. But I think people should see it. I think that it is an important piece of television history and an important piece of drama to witness. So I think it's well worth, you know, the effort to go out and spend 12 hours with it. Yeah, I mean, I, think I, I kind of experienced that firsthand. I mean, first off, you know, just not wanting to watch it at all for, you know, my entire lifespan <laughs> because it does yeah. feel like that type of thing that, that you you are forced to watch in school. And then, you know, getting it for this, and I had the DVD sitting there for weeks and weeks, and I'm just like, I need to watch Roots. I want to watch Roots. I want to see this. I hear it's really good. I'll do that later. Uh, let me watch mm-hmm. Rebels first. Uh, right. You know, I'm going to watch some uh, 24 or whatever. You know, and then finally, 
it, it wasn't until today where I'm like, I've got to set aside time and actually do this. And then when yeah. I watched it, I was like, yeah, this is really compelling. This really does work. And, and I, I am going to watch the rest of it, even if I don't have to. Maybe not right away, but I, I, I will, because uh, it is definitely worth checking out. What about you, Max? Any final thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know exactly how I would respond to it now if I was seeing it for the first time as an adult. But I remember as a kid, I like we didn't watch the entire thing in my class in one day. It was, I don't know exactly how many days, but it wasn't, it wasn't one, it wasn't two. It might have been four, but at the beginning I thought, oh no, we're going to be watching a TV miniseries about slavery. That sounds really boring because they didn't even have cars. Uh, but uh, very quickly, uh, it became like something that I was looking forward to because it was like, "Hey, we're gonna be we're gonna be watching a movie and um, not doing math. This sounds great." And and it wasn't just like like sparing me from the tedium of grade school classes. It was like we're actually watching something that I'm liking. That's a big deal. And and every once in a while when we would pause it and talk about history, it was like, oh, I actually care about this history now. Like if you had just said like, oh, yeah, back in the back in the 1700s, they started going to Africa and kidnapping people and bringing them here and making them work for no money. I'd have been like, well, that's super long time ago. Who cares? Mm-hmm. In context, it makes it makes sense and it means something and it informs the present day. And I and I'm not sure how. I'm not sure how I would respond to it if I was seeing it for the first time now. I think that seeing it as a kid really, really helped me, like you know, get a handle on things really quickly. And I and I really liked the idea that that my history teacher made a point of pointing out all of the inaccuracies mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter if it gets some things wrong; it's important. Yeah, that yeah. that was a big deal for me as a kid. That that like this thing mattered, imperfect as it was. Yeah. And I think even though it does get some things wrong, it sort of gets to the the heart of what the well, experience was. It was supposed to be kind of an experiential thing. I, either way, as a narrative, it's one thing. As a document, it's another thing. It's as a, as a documented narrative of like a, a, essentially a shared mythology. And it doesn't matter if it actually happened. It's it like it didn't happen the same way. But this myth of 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 like being ripped from one world and brought into another one and enslaved, it occurred and it matters. And by creating this character, who is almost certainly not an accurate representation of any individual, mm-hmm. that's a touchstone. That's a mythology that that people can understand. And like it's a it's a tragedy, but without that touchstone it's really hard to actually recognize the 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 physical impact and the the whole concept of roots the idea that it starts at slavery and goes up basically almost to present day like the idea is like it isn't over it's still going on that crime it has has witnesses and those witnesses have have consequences and there are follow-up crimes and there's all sorts of things and it all leads up to today and it's important to recognize that just because it happened literally hundreds of years ago that we are not still feeling its effects that is very important and that's why i would say that even though it does get slow 
It absolutely does. It still matters. Yeah. And you should probably make it all the way to the end. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Burton's performance, you know, really does help to connect to that story. And, I mean, that's a, that's a really big part of it. And his absence is felt. You yeah. feel, you feel it when he's gone because you miss him. Mm-hmm. But, you I mean, you can watch next year, so it's all right. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, before we go, we have just a couple of other things that we want to touch on. Um, first off, Joseph Sargent passed away uh, last week. He is the director of the Corbamite Maneuver, um, which was a, a great episode of the original series. I, I believe, am I right in thinking that it's the first non-pilot produced? First non-pilot? I believe so. I have referred to it mm. as Pilot 3. Okay. All right, because it also kind of works as a pilot. Okay, I, I couldn't. I can never remember the exact order. I know that I think that was the one that they wanted to air first, and and if you look at it, it really does kind of make the most sense as a first episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But regardless, uh, he he directed that, and uh, it is a great episode, if you ask me. Um, and he also directed a ton of other stuff in tv he won four emmys over the the course of his career uh for things um kojak love is never silent caroline question mark Hmm. and uh miss rose white he was also nominated for another five emmys kojak huh yeah i don't know those other ones yeah maybe i think they're like miniseries and tv movies and stuff um, he also won three DGA awards, which is very significant, um, and he was nominated for another five. And in the feature film department, he directed a number of movies as well, including The Taking of Pelham 123 and Jaws the Revenge. Taking of Pelham 123, huh? Yeah. One of those was a decent movie. Yeah. But for Jaws the Revenge, he, he also did win two awards. He won two Razzies. He has been he has been to the peaks and the valleys, and <laughs> yes. so we say Godspeed. Yeah, I, I've never seen Jaws the Revenge or the original Taking a Pelham One Two Three, but um, I, I hear that Taking a Pelham One Two Three is good. It so. is. Do not yeah, watch the remake. Okay. I, yeah, the remake wasn't terrible, but didn't work for me. So I haven't seen it. Mm. Not missing much. I don't no. think so. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think that I was. So, R.I.P. Joseph Sargent. Finally, um, just following up on what's been going on with the new Star Trek movie in relation to Star Trek creators, uh, there's a story which was picked up on December 24th. Roberto Orsi, he's been going on to the Trek movie uh, forums or message boards or whatever, and sort of posting little cryptic tidbits here and there. And he uh, posted something in a thread where he said, I'm producing nothing more or less. And all of the online bloggers took that to mean he's not writing the movie anymore. Meaning they read into something that didn't mean anything. Right. Or maybe they did. I don't know. Okay, so they took a a comment and they went crazy, extruding all sorts of significance to it. (laughs) Yes. And we're going to now comment on the significance of the things that they assumed. Well, no, we're just going to follow up in places that they haven't. You know, they they said, they, they took that to mean he's not writing the movie anymore. 
which may or may not be true. But two days later, he said a number of things about a number of topics related to uh, the new movie. Um, In regards to whether or not there's a chance of this thing being good, he said, yes, there is much hope. Though our first draft was not the right fit for some, I still believe our second story is something we love and stand behind. Let's see if it sticks. So he's enthusiastic about a new story, but it also does confirm that the old story is getting jettisoned and there is a new story in its place, not just a a redraft of the old story. Then, in regards to the new director, Justin Lin, he said, We had a great time together on the pilot for Scorpion, which is the show that they, they work on together. It's on CBS, by the way. He made it look twice as costly as it was. He is a pro and a gentleman. Trek is lucky to have him. So there's that. It's good news. That is oh, good yeah, news. I'm sure that's completely... <laughs> I'm excited. Ernest, straight from the heart. I, I believe it. No filtering whatsoever. I believe it. In regards to who is writing the second story, he said P and M and me. Of course, referring to Payne and McKay and, and him. So that is the thing that no one is, is writing about where I'm like, what? I mean, he just said literally just right there that he's still writing the movie along well, with Well, he said Payne he's writing McKay. the story. Or Patrick and Michael. That's true. He's writing the story. Yeah. He might, not, he might not have a hand in the actual screenplay this time. He might actually just get a story credit and then those two are going to write a cogent screenplay based on it. That could be. Which I know is quibbling, but you know. Uh, no, no, but I mean that is that is a good distinction. To or make. it's and just sponsored by the letters P and M. <laughs> I guess that's a possibility too. But I'm so going to go to back it. in time to Sesame Street's creation <laughs> and create an alternate Sesame Street timeline this time. Yep. Oh, like that's so implausible now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to take it to mean that he is at least writing the story along with uh, J D. Payne and Patrick McKay. Sure, let's extrapolate lots of significance from it. <laughs> And and that makes me how happy. far can we stretch the, the these these comments made? I, you I, know what I like is his comments about Lynn though are good. I mean it, it's it's nice to hear it, it. It sounds like legitimate no sour grapes. It sounds like on some level he is not holding any sort of grudge about you know being booted from the director's chair or stepping down from the director's chair. That there might be an actual honest bone in his body where he says, you know he he's subtextually saying, you know, this was something I couldn't handle and couldn't bring to the screen, and so I'm glad Justin Lin's got it, if anybody. Eh, you know, I, maybe that is reading too much into it, but at the same time, that's what I prefer to read into it. Yeah, and that's fine. And What if he just has a heart condition and could have got a completion bond? I mean, that could be too. <laughs> there are all sorts of things that could be at play here. He there is no reason to assume that any of the PR in this is somehow... Well, there, there all is, there is to talk about. There, there is, there is one thing which a lot of people haven't picked up on because his, he said it in Spanish. But someone on Twitter that's asked, a good way to hide things. <laughs> say it in a different language. Someone in, 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 on Twitter asked him, like, "Why did you leave?" And he responded in Spanish, uh, "Creative differences." So I know that's the the reason why everyone leaves every project in Hollywood. Yeah. But you know. I'm, I'm curious if it means because they were trumpeting so much that they were going to do a quote unquote five year mission, yeah, retelling. If this means that the studio was said no to that, like that, that's the difference here. Is they were like, we're not going to do that. We're not retreading. Let's do something different and original. 
And that that could be. There's another thing which was on Twitter. Which, I should point out that I put the actual Spanish content through Google Translate, and it came back scheduling conflicts. Okay. I don't <laughs> know what go. that means. Maybe it's Google doing bir- it. I don't know. Somebody's pulling strings. He had a birthday party halfway through, and it, it, it created a problem. There was a very interesting exchange which I came across on Twitter um, between Peter Scaretta, the guy who runs Slash Film, and some other guy. And he said, the funny thing about all the Trekkies bashing Orsi's departure from Trek 3 is that he was gearing to make the most TOS-like Trek movie. And then someone said, if you bought that bit of marketing, you are far too gullible. And uh, Peter responded... Not marketing. I actually know a bit about this one. And the other guy, Kenny, said, Frankly, his skills of writing anything coherent, I doubt, based on everything his name has been on thus far. And Peter, I feel the same way about the person who wrote that comment based on the grammar of that comment. <laughs> well, you only have 140 characters. And, and Peter said, It's hard to judge purely off of big blockbusters. Wow. Lots of chefs in the kitchen, and you'd be surprised. And then Kenny... I'm getting to the good part here, okay? Bear with me. Kenny said, but while I'm still hesitant to buy into the Lin-led Trek, I doubt things under Orsi would have been any more Trek-like. And Peter said, you are wrong from what I've heard. And Kenny said, and others of your caliber, which I do respect, have heard the opposite, agree to disagree. And then Peter said, this is the part. This is the part that I find to be interesting. I'm still with you, Max. I mean, I'm still with you, Max. (laughs) Sorry. Freudian slip. Freudian slip right there. Sorry about that. Peter said, believe me, I know who you're talking about, and he doesn't know what he's talking about on this one. He's way off. That, to me, suggests that they're talking about Devin Faraci and all this stuff about making it more like Guardians of the Galaxy and everything is yeah. not true according to what the Slash Film guy is saying. No, they're actually talking about me and all the <laughs> stuff that I've been saying about the Sesame Street crossover. Okay. All right. That could be there too. That could be too. Um, the the only other little thing that he said uh, recently is that yes, he is still producing, um, uh, and and not just in name only. He says he's right in the middle of it, trying not to let us down. So, hopefully, he won't. I don't know. We will continue to fo- follow this story. I don't know. Based on the history so far, I don't imagine they could do anything that would let you down. Uh, it's quite possible, you know. It's quite yeah, possible. It's, it's very possible. Uh, I, you know what? I, I'll, I'll be the one to step in and say, so far as I'm concerned, they got, they got nowhere to go but up. And uh, so I, I'm really hoping for something here. All right. Yeah. All right. Fair At enough. this point, like they could say, yeah, why not? Star Wars crossover. I still. I'd be on board. I still like. <laughs> let's honestly, just be okay. Let's be honest here. I would be more than on board. Okay. That that, be, I'd be, be I'd be okay cool. with that too. You know. Hey, why not? I would I would essentially say, fine, both franchises are dead. Let's just sew them together and see what happens. Let's there finally answer the question as to whether the Enterprise could take on a Star Destroyer. We all want to see it. S-W-V-S-T? Yes. Yeah. No. Okay. Yep. Those letters in that sequence. <laughs> totally agree. Anyway, so that's that. Well, it's been fun talking about... Roots today. I guess you could say it was fun. The copy says it was fun. I don't know if it was necessarily fun. But that's just one of the things we're talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. 
and and so I was biased against it. it even when I started buying the the two disc collector's edition DVDs, I avoided buying any of the even numbered movies. Odd numbered odd movies. numbered movies. Earl Grey. Like uh, like they stated in the end of the movie, you know, they thought he'd outlive all of them, and I'm like, yeah, that's what should have happened. We should have seen Data like in the you know 26th century, like Data 5.0, whatever we call them. To the journey. You don't know if she's going to stab him or smooch him. She's going to smooch him, of course, after dessert. <laughs> after dessert. We all know what dessert means. Warp 5. Along with technology and along with trying to study the origins of a lot of different things that we've come to know in, in the original series and beyond, it's hard to try and deconstruct it without insulting what has come in all of the things that we know of being Vulcan mind melt. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And my thought was, in the next scene, Crusher should have the body of the dead Klingon sitting on the back of her toilet holding a candle. You know, <laughs> which she would only get to do after Lieutenant Yara's gotten to hold the dead Klingon up to her ear to see if she can hear the ocean. Commentary, Trek stars. Everything you would imagine would be in an opening title sequence for this show is in there. I think the shot that really does it for me, the shot that really pulls everything together is when he dunks the basketball. (laughs) Melodic tricks. So we do know an awful lot of people get associated with Vic Fontaine. He name drops to the nth degree about all the famous people that he hangs around with. One of whom is Frank Sinatra. Axenar, the official podcast. When there's a possibility for something to be misunderstood or um, not clearly explained, it can potentially open up a big hole for a show because people can end up going down a path that was actually not what somebody wanted to be done. The 602 Club. What are those Bond movies that you go back to time and time again because they just do it better? Uh, First of all, Matthew, nobody does it better. That's true. Uh, It makes Uh, me feel sad for the rest. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream them from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars, to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source of audiobooks for more, with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week from classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World. Audible has something for everyone. John, what do you have for us this week? This week it's Roots, the Saga of an American Family. Written, of course, by Alex Haley and narrated by Avery Brooks. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So appropriate. Mm-hmm. It begins with a birth in an African village in 1750 and ends two centuries later at a funeral in Arkansas. And in that time span, an unforgettable cast of men, women, and children come to life, many of them based on the people from Alex Haley's own family tree. And you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. 
As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek FM. And lastly, there's one more way that you can help us uh, keep commentary Trek stars coming to you each week, and that's by becoming a patron of the network on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, and you can uh, donate various amounts um, on a monthly basis. Um, anything from a couple dollars to uh, a, a, a couple dozen dollars, and you can get various rewards at various Gold levels. Press dollars, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, we would greatly appreciate whatever you can help us out with. Uh, to the patrons, to the patrons. <laughs> oh, that's a good that's a good name for the bonus content. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, we'll have to suggest that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's about it for LeVar Burton's work on Roots. Um, John, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, they can find me crawling around Twitter at Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E, and uh, on a weekly show called Words with Nerds that drops Thursday on the usual network suspect, blah, blah, blah. And you can find Max and myself uh, on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do commentary track stars off topic with our friend Brandon. You can also find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. You can email all of us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find me right here on Trek FM doing Standard Orbit with Drew. So, yeah, that's it for Roots. Next week we will be back for the third part in our series on LeVar Burton's Emmy-nominated work, or Emmy-winning work in this case, where we're going to look at his work on Reading Rainbow. Rainbow.